All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to SaberSim's DFS Office Hours. It is Thursday, August 18th. Uh, of 2022 here. Uh, thank you, everybody, for, for tuning into the stream here today. Uh, if this is your first time tuning into Office Hours, you picked a good one because uh, we're running crazy hot this week. Uh, but first of all, my name is Jordan. I'm the head coach here at Sabersim. Uh, and on this show, I answer questions from the Sabersim community about how to better use our tools uh, to build your DFS lineups. So if you have questions you'd like me to answer, you can ask them live, Office Hours channel in Slack or the YouTube chat. Uh, you can also email us, support at sabersim.com. Would be happy to answer your questions that way as well. Uh, I've never done what I did last night before. So uh, it was kind of a, a fun first time here. Um, took down the beanball back-to-back last night. We won it on... What was that, Tuesday night? Uh, and we won it again last night. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about the lineup here again. We'll talk a little bit about the build. The steps I used to build both of these lineups uh, were very similar, at least kind of my thought process, the way I was going through it here. Um, and we'll, we'll go from there. So I don't I don't actually see a ton of questions in the queue. There were a couple here um, that were asked yesterday afternoon. So, so we'll get caught up. We'll make sure we get to everybody's questions here, but we'll spend a little bit of time talking about this build, at least just to get things started. And if you watched the stream uh, yesterday, you would have, you'll would have seen uh, a similar, uh, a similar situation here. So um, anyway, let's go ahead and talk about it. So this is the lineup here. This is the one on the right. Don't, you can ignore this one on the left. This is just some other random lineup that I played in the contest. Um, I guess good to see that they're not all winners, right? Um, especially when, uh, Nathaniel Lowe is going over four, Nick Allen over five, right? But anyway, here's the winner. Uh, actually, weirdly enough, the same construction I used the night before, uh, another four, two, two, um, this time pretty low owned Mets stack. Uh, I would say almost a virtually ignored New York Mets stack. Um, and I mean, 10%, like 9%, 10% on these guys, like maybe ignored is a bad word, but we'll talk about this here in a minute. It was kind of like one of my, my bigger stands on the slate was on the Mets here. Um, and then uh, the, uh, again, another low owned two piece with the uh, Yankees here, uh, a lower owned two piece stack with the, the A's here, and then a pretty low owned pitcher, uh, all things considered um, a pretty flatly, five to 10% owned lineup across the board and, and just not a very high owned lineup overall. Um, I actually hear, let's look at all the entries, um, kind of overkilled this contest by quite a bit, actually won this thing by 25 points. Um, so, uh, pretty, pretty good finish there. All things considered, uh, definitely, definitely running pretty, pretty hot, getting kind of lucky. Um, one of the main reasons I got particularly lucky here, uh, is I actually did, all of my lineup work last night. So I like built everything. I got everything settled. And then I just had this sense that I had done like a little bit too much. I, I feel like I had like moved too many things around. So I actually reset all of my exposures and then tried to start doing things again and ran out of time. Um, so I got very lucky that I did not have time to finish that second round of, of retouching exposures and things like that. Um, what that also, though, unfortunately means is that I the exposures were reset here, and I can go back to the actual lineup set that I used uh, from last night, which was this um, 503 final lineup set here, but it doesn't actually show the exposure, so it doesn't really show my work. So uh, all of this to say, um, I am going to talk through my thought process that I used here for the slate last night, kind of what I did, what adjustments I made, with a general caveat that uh, this unfortunately is not the identical lineup set that I actually ended up playing because I kind of had to rebuild this this morning because I had basically tried to reset my exposures right at the last second before lock yesterday. So um, anyway, let's go ahead and get into it. So first things first, right? Almost all of the work I did yesterday was at the, in the post build screen, right? Um, not really any adjustments to projections. Build settings were pretty much default. Uh, 150 max, 10 to 50 K. 847 sliders. I'm playing with my lineup portfolio, uh, the 344 lineups. I actually had the opportunity to play a little bit more action yesterday because of the win the previous night. So I started getting into this 4K uh, to first squeeze, the $4 here. Um, otherwise, you know, a couple other contests too as well, this $12 five entries max, just like slowly inching the, the uh, daily wager up as the bankroll grows. Otherwise, playing the 
DFS profit plan contest portfolio, exactly the way I describe it in the video. Um, I filled with unique random here. Again, got kind of lucky that that, that lineup ended up in the bean bowl. Um, compared to the night before, though, uh, it's worth noting that it did not end up in the best possible contest it could have. I know that's a common question I get from people all the time. Like, hey, I have this really high scoring lineup, but it didn't end up in the best contest possible. That, that just happens, right? That's that's part of the way it goes. So anyway, let's go ahead and start talking about the actual adjustments I made once I was in this build. So I started again with the stacks. Um, I continue. I, I, I probably should just be setting a stacking rule saying min four. Honestly, uh, I think that would be better practice, but I haven't been doing that. So first thing I was going is going through and eliminating my three stacks. Um, I think there's still a decent argument that a 3-3-2 stack is actually a pretty viable stacking type on FanDuel. Um, Sabersim definitely seems to emphasize that as well. 10% of the lineups in this pool at the correlation setting that is appropriate for this kind of slate and contest size are, are building 3-3-2s. 3-2-2s uh, with the 1-1 off, I think, are interesting. But I've been sticking to the larger stack types. Um, I do think it, it, it paid out pretty well uh, last night. But anyway, first thing I did was adjusting those stack types here. Uh, and then I kind of got a little bit more into the, the strategy of the slate. So... Uh, the first thing I looked at here, I, the first thing I looked at was my stacks. Um, and what I wanted to do is I sorted by stack pool exposure, right? This was a common trend of what we had talked about yesterday as well. And I kind of just wanted to get an idea of like what, what the slate was looking at in terms of most likely stacks to show up in these lineups, right? If my pool of lineups is a set of lineups that is viable for these contests, what are like the different angles that we can take here? Um, and we see Dodgers, Boston, Texas, Houston, Cleveland, et cetera. What I was noticing, though, as I was going through this is that there were a lot of teams here. And I I, I don't want to part. I partly want to reset these exposures, but I don't really want to mess it up. But what I was noticing here is that there were a handful of either uh, good teams, right, that were just like not really getting that were showing up a lot in the stack and weren't showing up a lot in my lineup set uh, or teams where there was like some direct leverage opportunities that were that were um that were in my stack pool but weren't in my actual lineup set. So, I bumped up my min exposure to the Dodgers. That was probably my favorite overall play on the slate. It seemed like they weren't going to be very highly owned. Uh they were showing up in the 30% of my lineups in my pool, but I just wasn't getting a lot of them in my top 344. So, I pumped up some stack exposure there. Uh, I targeted the Mets as well. This was a play that just kind of surprised me overall. Um, that they weren't getting very much ownership given that they were going up against Oda Rizzi. Uh, they're a good team, right? They can hit for power. They're a team that can put up some runs. They were showing up at 17% of my lineups in my pool, and I had like 4% before I made this adjustment. Uh, I went back to the well on Detroit. Again, probably the best bad team <laughs> that has been showing up recently this week uh, in my builds in terms of stack pool exposure. Uh, another team where I wasn't getting very much exposure to them and the Yankees as well, um, which was a, was which was a part of the winning lineup here. Um, I was getting 11% in my entire pool, very little in my set of lineups. Um, the Yankees lineup has been pretty weak throughout most of the week this week, but uh, I thought there was an opportunity there as well. So I bumped up a few of those things. Um, actually, I think before I did that, Part of, part of the way I kind of built this sense of intuition here about the slate was looking at the individual batters. Uh, so what I looked at here was the, I looked at a couple things. First of all, what were the most likely players to be in one of these lineups uh, in the pool? Um, and this is really partially what put me onto the Dodgers, right? Is looking at this and seeing the most likely to be optimal play, or not technically this isn't likely to be optimal, but the most likely players to appear in a good lineup for this particular contest, which is the way I kind of think about this pool, were Mookie Betts and Trey Turner. Um, we also saw, let's see, um, I mean, Freddie Freeman is kind of in the area of the, the, at the top here as well. Um, just not not efficient ownership, right? It just didn't seem like that was like strong. It didn't, it, it didn't seem like the ownership was appropriately following that. Eric Lauer, like not a big threat on the mound in my mind, especially for a team as talented as the Dodgers. So that kind of put me on the Dodgers. And I started going through this list and looking at some of these other teams, right? Boston, um, a little closer to efficiently owned, but still doesn't seem really efficient. Uh, Houston, um, uh, Houston as well, I guess actually looks a little bit more efficient. So I didn't really touch Houston. Uh, one thing that also stood out to me, and I should mention here is that Texas was popping up, uh, but it seemed like everybody wanted to play Texas. 
right? So when we sort by ownership, this is another thing I looked at, right? Texas, highly owned. Uh, Houston looks like there's some names showing up here a lot. Uh, the Dodgers show up as one of the high, like these guys are somewhat like higher owned in absolute terms, but compared to their probability of showing up in one of these lineups, it just wasn't even. So that also then kind of put me on capping Texas here um, at 25%, right? This number, I had like 45% Texas stacks, uh, and they were my highest owned stack before I did this. And I, I, the reason why I did this is because it seemed like they were the only, there were, you know, there were a lot of teams that had a good chance of success according to, uh, this, this stack pool exposure and these individual hitter probabilities, right? Like Houston looked good. The Dodgers looked good. Texas looked good. Boston looked good. Um, the Mets, Yankees, even like to a lesser extent, some of these teams, I kind of looked good. Um, but the only team that it seemed like the field was really like excited to play, uh, was Texas, right? That was the only one where it seemed like the ownership was like kind of at like at best efficient, maybe a little bit over owned there. So I capped their exposures as well. Um, on the pitching side, I kind of had a similar thought process. So we'll kind of start talking about the pitchers as well here. Let me open this up and make this a little bit easier to see here. Okay, so uh, it was interesting slate last night I, on FanDuel in particular, right, where we have Rodon and Scherzer here together, um, eating up a ton of the the ownership at the top. And what I was looking at here is, you know, they're – okay, so two things. The first thing I noticed is that Rodon was pretty close to efficient ownership, right? Like it, it looked like the field was about right with him, maybe a little bit over-owned, but like he was clearly the best – overall pitcher on the slate. So I wasn't really concerned about getting to Rodon. In fact, I was like pretty excited to get to Rodon. Um, Scherzer, on the other hand, I didn't even, and I didn't even really have to like touch min or max exposures here, but it seemed like that was just going to be inefficient ownership. You had to pay more to get him. It was a worse matchup for him. He was projected for worse. I wasn't very high on Scherzer in just in general last night. Right. And you could see, even if, even if this number was higher, I probably would have capped it just because he's only showing up 13% of my pool lineups. The field's going to get him at 22.5%, right? So not very excited there. What I started to notice as I went down the list, though, is that there were a lot of good, cheaper pitchers in good matchups where they were more likely to be in my... Um, they were more likely to be in my pool than the field was to roster them. Uh, so Cole Reagans, right, against Oakland. Uh, Cal Quantrill, Quantrill against Detroit. Uh, Marquez, um, even against uh, the Cardinals. Montgomery against the Rockies, right? These were all guys where this number outweighed this one, indicating to me that there was some, some exploitation opportunity. So coupled with the fact that I already wasn't very excited about Scherzer, and I thought Rodon was about efficiently owned, um, this number was 90, like 95% when I first ran this build. So I was like, I have some room to come down on my Rodon exposure. So I set a minimum exposure to some of these other pitchers that I just thought were going to go underappreciated, right? Um, so I set this to 10 to match. I wanted, you know, I wanted to match my pool exposure to these guys. So 10% here for Reagan's 10% for Quantrill, 7% for Marquez, uh, 7% for Montgomery, right? Just getting exposure to some of these other guys that I thought, you know, had some opportunity there. And I think, um, not, not to create a rule of thumb here or a heuristic, but I do think at times this, I think, uh, the idea that you have to pay one of the play one of the top dollar pitchers on FanDuel like as a requirement is a little bit overstated, especially when my favorite stacking targets are expensive teams. Right, this is kind of where I realized that my strategy was was kind of coming together. Where like the Mets are expensive, the Dodgers are expensive, Boston's expensive, New York is expensive. Right, like all of my favorite stacks were expensive teams to stack, especially like one through four, one through five, two, two through five, you know, three through six, those are expensive stacks to build. And my favorite pitchers, the pitchers that I thought were the opportunity that one, presented one of the best opportunities there were the cheaper pitchers. So you kind of know all of a sudden that this is going to work, uh, when, when all of your lineups come together. Um, and that's about it. Uh, so I, I mean, again, kind of rebuilding this, I, I think, you know, the, I, I mentioned, I did this a little bit out of order that in, in actuality, what I did here first is looked at the individual batters, um, and this is what put me on to some of the decisions I made on the stacks, right? Basically, I did. I kind of looked at this and said, okay, Dodgers, I kind of like the way the Dodgers are looking. I like the way Boston's looking. I like the way Houston's looking. Um, as we went down, then you start to see some of those Mets bats popping up, right? And when I say I like the way they're looking again, it's because they're they're showing up more frequently in my pool than they're showing up in the field, 
right? And when I came over here, then sorting by stack pool exposure, right? You know, basically where I kind of ended up was like, why, why is everybody so excited to play Texas instead of just playing these more talented teams that look like they're just as likely or even more likely to be to be optimal uh, or to, to, to be in the winning lineup. So that's kind of how I arrived at that. And then um, we'll just flick this over into review mode real quick so we can see the, the lineup in the pool here. So there it is. Um, so um, again, it just a, a pretty high scoring lineup. I also had a pretty good run out on this lineup. I had gone to bed, um, but Josh Donaldson hit a walk-off home run to, to win the game. Um, I was in like fourth when I went to bed, uh, which was still, I, you know, thinking, hey, all right, another pretty good night here. Uh, and I wake up and had won it, won it again. And I think uh, Torres got on base in the 11th or whatever it was as well there. So um, all that all that happened after I was long asleep. I am kind of a more of a morning person than a, than a night owl. So um, anyway, happy to answer any questions. I know uh, it, it is... It's a little bit unlucky that I wasn't able to show the exact exposures I had because I, um, but it was lucky for me that they, that I wasn't able to upload that final CSV anyway. So, um, but if there's any questions about this, you know, again, very similar process to what I did the night before, um, kind of a new process for me that I'm doing here. Um, again, no research build, right. I've, I've, I've been coming off of those a little bit, mostly just because I think this pool, this pool tab accomplishes a lot of what the research build used to do in a way that's a little bit more helpful for me, right? It, it kind of solves some of the problems with the research build, right? So uh, the, the problems being the research build essentially assumes that you have to get the optimal lineup to win. And this pool is instead, hey, here's all of like, here's a pool of essentially like good lineups that you can use. So um, anyway, uh, so let's see a couple questions here and, and fire away at me if anybody has any questions while we, while we have this build up here. So Jen had said, so you didn't touch on four stacks specifically, but just all stacks. Yeah. So on the stacks, um, I'll turn review mode off so we can see my exposures again. Uh, why can't I, what's going on here? Where, what happened? Huh? Hang on, let me try to refresh and see if that pulls them back up. Um, but I can answer the question anyway. So on stacks, I have just been, I've been letting the builder build without a stacking rule. And then I've been eliminating certain stack types after the build, mostly stacks that have, that don't have a four stack in it. I don't know if that's actually best practice. I think like best practice would actually be to uh, build, build your lineups with the four stack stacking rule rather than just, allowing lineups to be built that have three stacks and then knowing that you're going to eliminate them after the fact. Uh, but for this particular build, you can see here, right? I eliminated my three, three, twos, my three, threes, my three, two, twos, um, had like one, two, 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 two stack show up. Um, so yeah, I, I, I still think probably better practice is to set the stacking rule. Um, but I didn't. So and the reason why it's better practice is because then then you get a better pool that actually is like already a little bit more naturally built for the angle that you want to play, right? If you look at this, I I basically like kind of threw away 25 or so percent of my lineups just right out of the gate just because they had stack types that I knew I didn't want. Um, so um, part part of the reason why I'm doing that right now is again, because I, I, I am, I have been testing out the new 5,000 lineups pool here. Um, and one thing I have noticed in that testing is it, it takes a really long time to build 5,000 if you do have a stacking rule. So that is part of the reason why uh, I haven't been setting it there. But um, I do think better practice is to set that stacking rule in the lineup. So you have that ahead of time. But um, okay, and then there were a couple other questions here. Let me go ahead and get caught up. Um, there were a couple of questions about the 5,000 lineup pool. So um, it's still it's it's still in kind of a QA here. Um, it, it will be released as a part of our, our new pro plan along with another bunch of other features once that plan's actually ready. Um, I promise it's it's not it's not ready. It's not all roses. It it takes a very long time. If you touch anything, part of the reason also that I haven't really been messing with anything before the build is because if you if you touch anything like set a stack rule or exposures or anything like that before the build um it takes an extremely long time to build those uh 5000 lineups so i 
I, I, it, it will be released as a part of that pro plan when it's ready. And I assure you, uh, I promise it is not the 5,000 lineups is not the skeleton key here um, to, to why these, to why these builds were, were successful. I, it, it's kind of just an opportunity to QA test here a little bit um, alongside it. So, uh, but it will be released as a part of that plan. So. Um, Eric said, Hey Jordan, when I do MLB, I generally leave it at 500. I was wondering if I up that to a 1500 player pool to a more spread out portfolio. I do think it does make some sense, especially if you're playing a lot of lineups to increase it to the 1500 pool size, uh, especially with, with baseball, you know, you're not often right up against lock. Um, you, like you can be, but, but typically you have enough starting, you, you have enough confirmed lineups prior to lock that you're not super worried about a time crunch right up against lock like NBA. So yeah, I think increasing your pool size to 1500 is generally a good idea. Um, especially if you're playing more than, you know, if you're playing more than 50 or so lineups, or if, especially if you're playing like 150, I think increasing the pool size is wise. So um, okay, cool. Let's get caught up here. Uh, I know KG wanted to see the pink guy shirt. I apologize. I was not able to get the pink guy shirt cleaned, uh, in time for the stream today. I will tell you, I really, you know, I would have put it in the washer and gotten that done for you guys. If I knew I was going to take it down, um, if I knew I was going to take it down. So, um, let's hit this question here real quick. This was from, uh, PMC, um, and uh, PMC said, if I want to set a lower max exposure across the board for batters, but I'm okay with several pitchers being significantly higher, am I better off doing that pre or post build? Um, so, I mean, I guess if yeah, I'm kind of torn here. Um, the reason I am torn. Okay, so I think there's a couple ways you can do this. So if you have like a global max exposure that you want, including pitchers, right? You know that no matter what, you don't want anybody over 70%. I think probably the best thing to do would be to set that number here, right? This is your global max exposure. And you can set that to something like 70 here uh, and then build. And that will make sure no players rostered in more than 70%, pitchers included, and then fine tune your batters after the build here, Right. Uh, I think probably the best practice recommendation I would say is that it's better if you know the exposures you want to certain players to set that ahead of time. Uh, we have been running into some issues recently where players are setting min and max exposures for every single player on the slate, and that's been causing some slowdowns. Uh, we're working on getting that fixed, but at the moment, I don't really want to recommend anybody set min and max exposures for like every player because it is taking builds to be longer. So I think that's what I would do. I think best practice is I would either just do it after the build. Um, you probably, especially if you're building with 1500 lineups um, or you have a, um, here, let me go ahead. Or you have a, um, or you have a high sim precision, you should generally be okay. Um, and then it, it should be a little bit more flexible for after the build. The other thing would be, of course, using the max exposure in the build settings there. Uh, and just setting that to like what your actual total global max exposure is and going that direction. So let me know if that helps. Um, okay. Uh, then in it to Binkit had asked here, let me go ahead actually real quick. I just want to see if there's any other questions about, okay. I don't, I don't see any other questions about this build here. Um, so I'm going to, for right this second, I'm going to go ahead and move over. Um, to my other account here. And then we'll we'll proceed here. Okay. Uh, so this one was from in it to bank it if I want to set Oh, no, I just read that one. Hang on. Okay. All right. Uh, if I create a 20 lineup build with a 500 pool and set min uniques to one, will every lineup in my 20 pool be one player different or will they be pulled from different parts of the pool? Therefore it will be one unique minimum, but could be two, three, and four. Yeah. So it's, it's minimum uniques. It's not equal uniques. So when you change that number, it is, uh, 
it is it is the minimum number of unique players. So you can have, if, if your min uniques is one, you can have lineups that are two players different. You can have lineups that are three players different, four players different. You can have players that are, you can have lineups that are nine players different, right? Depending on the, the sport. Um, but that's just the minimum number of players that must be different when comparing any two lineups in the pool. So. Um, all right. All right, let's see. So Nipsey said, uh, when I ran my initial 1500, then sorted my 150, I was getting Boston uh, in my stack, double my stack pool over the 1500 pool. I was at 26% overall, then dropped to 8%, saw Mets at 14%, but was getting 16% in my pool. Then I started tweaking and getting the dreaded penalty flag. Yeah, I mean, I assume, let's, let's like build, let's go back and build this through again. Hang on. Let's see. I assume if you got the, the, we can't match your lineups message that quickly in the process that you probably had other, whoops, that you had other restrictions set. Like remember every, a good way of thinking about this too, is like every, every time that you set min and max exposures and things like that, after the build, you eliminate a portion of your lineups from your pool that you can no longer use basically no matter what, right? You just, you, you cannot get to them, right? Um, so if you adjusted just two teams exposure in your build, right. Uh, and then saw that you then, then got the message that there's no more lineups. I suspect that there were other lineups in your pool or there were other restrictions already set that was causing that, right. If we can do a quick build here. Um, one other thing, actually, I should mention that I have been doing, um, just cause I, I'm not sure if, if yesterday the lineup was above or below the salary thing I have been in terms of editing build settings, I have been turning min salary down to zero personally. Um, I just think salaries are pretty bad this year. They're super soft. It seems like the sites are like almost pulling salaries out of the hat some nights. Um, so I don't really even want the min salary to be there. Um, so I have been turning that off. I should have mentioned that before, um, but we'll build these here. I mean, I would say in general, like if, if you're getting the message, it probably, it means that somewhere along the line, you're doing too much to exceed that set of 1500 lineups. That doesn't necessarily mean that you can't do that, but at that point you probably need to go back to the projections tab and make adjustments. Personally, I never do that because if I get the message saying I've made too many changes, I stop. And that actually happened to me last night. Right. There was a, I, I don't know what particular change it was, but at some point I saw the message saying, Hey, we don't have enough lineups in your pool to do this. And to me, that is a that is a sign that I did too much, not that I need to go start making changes elsewhere. That's the way I interpret that. Right. But that's mostly because like I I have a, I have stances I want to take on slates. I have opinions on like what teams I want to get exposure to, what pitchers I want to get exposure to, things like that. But typically, if I'm exceeding the first 1500 lineups from my pool. I'm done. Like, I don't want, I don't want to go that far off of what, what Sabersim thinks makes sense. So, um, again, I think probably more likely here is that there were other exposures set. And the other thing too, I should mention this as well. The more exposures you set up front, the less exposures you're going to be able to set after the build, because like, if you've set exposures to every single player in the pool, min and max exposures, and it builds all those lineups and it builds you 1500 lineups and it builds you a 150 lineup set. At that point, that lineup set is so fragile, right? That, that basically, that's a, basically a custom created lineup set for you based on all of your min and max exposures that you basically can't change any of the exposures after the build because they were all, they were all perfectly created for you, right? They were like, that was like, it's like basically like a vanity build for your exact exposure. So that's the other thing to look for, right? The the one other thing too, I, I these these min and max exposures have been on my mind a lot recently this past week because I know I know there's 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 been quite a few users that are you know setting a lot of these min and max exposures before build. The other and and running into some problems here and there. The the other thing to remember is that you know these when Saberson builds you lineups and it comes out with a certain set of exposures it's not necessarily saying that these are right, but it does because they are, because they are actually building from real lineups. You know that they work, you know, that they mathematically fit based on salary and positional eligibility. When you're just thinking in your head, I kind of want this much team and I kind of want that much team. 
you're not able to do that in the same way, right? Like you could be like, hey, I like I want to make sure I'm getting Rodon and the Dodgers and the Yankees. But you don't know how those positions fit necessarily. And I mean, maybe you do if you go look that up, but you don't know how all that stuff fits for every single combination. And I think part of the reason why sometimes people run into issues with getting the exposures that they want is because they're trying to push a square peg through a round hole in terms of the way that those players and lineups and salaries and actually fit together. Right. And like, I think a lot of times the initial reaction, you're building your lineups, you're sitting down at your lock and you're like, I want this and that and this and that and that. And you get the message saying, we can't do that. And the initial reaction is frustration. Like why? When the answer is no, you literally can't, that lineup doesn't work. Like you, you literally can't build that because of the way that these salaries and positions fit together. Right. So I I think, you know, sometimes it's better to to, I think that's I think that's part of the value of using something like the stack pool exposure to help ground you, right? Like if you're looking at this and you're like, okay, my favorite play on the slate is the Yankees, right? Last night. Or actually, no, let's use your example, uh, which was also my example, Boston and the Mets, right? Like when you come over here and say you want to get to some Mets exposure, right? This number is helpful in determining how much is appropriate. If you come over here and say 50% Mets, right? Like there's absolutely enough lineups in your pool to do that. But you're basically like all of a sudden you're you're spreading out 14% pool exposure across 50% lineup exposure, right? Just mathematically speaking, like your pool of viable lineups remaining that you can use to do all of your other things is now more limited because, because you don't, you don't have, you only have so many of these lineups to begin with, right? Does that make sense? So that's part of why I've been using this number to determine how much exposure I want to certain teams. And sometimes I go higher than this. Like on today's early slate, since it was only a six game slate, I was actually taking bigger stance. So like on my early slate builds, I saw I had like, I think 10% Rockies in my pool and I bumped it up to 20%. You could do that here too, as well. You could say, I have 14% Mets in my pool and I want to make sure I get a ton of Mets. I'm going to bump this up to 28%. But when you start going really crazy and making a lot of adjustments here, you're going to run into some more issues. So um, a bit of kind of a rant there, I guess, but it's been on my mind. I've been thinking about this a lot. And I, I think, you know, it's important. It's important to remember the role that slate dynamics plays in all of this and that there are positions that players fit into and there are salary requirements and that your, your intuition, or like, even if you're taking a even if you're taking a more algorithmic approach and calculating min and max exposures, if those are not originating from lineup construction, right? If those are not starting with lineups, then you don't know if those actually make mathematical sense. And part of the reason why you may be running into errors is not necessarily instead, not necessarily because the tool isn't working, but it is because, possibly because that the, the lineups are literally not possible. So uh, anyway, um, yeah, so Nipsey here had mentioned, I think it's happening in the pitcher exposures, tweaking those first before team stacks. So yeah, I mean, it could be that, right? Like, so if we had come over here, right? And we can do kind of a similar thing. Like, let's say you're just looking at this and you're like, okay, um, I'm going to... So like, okay, hold on. I really want to be able to see this a little bit easier. So let's say you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, like based on what I'm seeing here, I'm gonna just fade Scherzer, right? Which is fine. I I was I was low on Scherzer last night, so maybe you just fade him. You are eliminating 10% of your lineup pool here, right? Even though you are only getting 5% of them in your final set of lineups, 10% of your 150 of your lineups of your pool are now eliminated. They cannot be used, right? Uh, and now as you go through and make more and more changes, right? Then maybe you come over here and do some of the things that I do, right? Where I like to set stacking rules or to, to trim out the stacks, right? We've eliminated another, you know, 20% of our lineups here or so, right? All of a sudden we're playing with a pool that is like 70% of what it was beforehand, which is why in general, I say it is, it is best practice to give some information ahead of time, right? Like what types of stacks, like if you started to run into issues now at this point, it might be wise for you to go back and run another build with no Scherzer and a four stack rule to make sure you're getting the lineups that you want. Right. And you have enough lineups in your pool to work with. So anyway. 
All right, cool. Let me jump over back to YouTube chat here. Get caught up there. Um, Eamon said, this will be the most watched stream ever. Double Bank Jordan. Uh, Matt said, FanDuel should just rename the 222 the Jordan Chan experience. Yeah, I, I also, I, I, like, running super hot. I, I, I've actually had a pretty poor MLB season up until this point. Uh, so I think I am realizing a lot of EV all at once, uh, which I'm glad to have realized it at all because it has been, uh, it was, to be completely honest, it was one of my worst MLB seasons up until this point. So, um, that's, it's, it's been nice. It's been good. Um, but, uh, sorry, Eric, I missed your follow-up question on the question earlier here. Um, does it depend on the size of the slate though, in terms of the 1500 lineup pool? I don't think so. Um, it, maybe except at the extremes, right? Like on a 15 game slate, you have a lot more players to process and like builds, builds just in general and like a huge slate can take a little bit longer. So maybe if you're playing, you know, tomorrow's probably a 13 or 14 or 15 game slate. You know, if you're building a 1500 lineup pool tomorrow, maybe give yourself a couple more minutes uh, instead of waiting to the last second, but it, it shouldn't make a huge difference, difference either way. So cool. Any other questions for me here today? I, I think all of a sudden uh, we are, we are pretty caught up. So um what other questions do we have? See a couple people typing here now. Fire away at me if you have questions. So, um, yeah, and I, 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 I think this this stack pool exposure is just kind of interesting. I've been enjoying playing with this, right? Like, so the, the kind of the way I, I'm trying, I, I want to explain this. I, I almost feel like when you're walking through a build that led to a bank, it's almost worse. Because it, you have the benefit of hindsight and it starts to be like too convenient to explain, oh yeah, of course I was on this team and that team and this. But I, 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 I'm trying to explain it a little bit in a way that is more usable for, for future slates. But you know what I what I'm really been looking at is discrepancies between the this number and this number and then kind of trying to figure out like why that is or what side I want to be on that. So like right here, Texas, 56% stock pool exposure, 28%. And again, based on the way I was looking at this slate, the only team that it seemed like was really even efficiently owned at the high end here was Texas, right? Like there's all of these guys, the Dodgers, Boston, like all of these guys have a good chance to be in the winning lineup or to be in the optimal lineup here. The only one that the field is like getting to at the rate that is accurate was Texas, so to me, like that was a discrepancy that I wanted to get closer to this number, right? Which kind of led to doing this, right? Same thing. So then come down here, right? Detroit, right? They're they're showing up in 2% of my lineups and they're in 11% of my stack pool exposure over here, right? Um, so I go over here, right? And look at Detroit and they're essentially unowned again, Right? And like a fairly chalky pitcher on the other side. Quantrill was not like super chalky, especially on FanDuel, but I think he was like 10% owned-ish again, right? Like no ownership again on this team that has some upside here. So that was part of the reason I did this, right? It's kind of the way I was thinking about it here. Um, so, um, okay, a couple questions coming in here. Uh, Kilo Whiskey, at, at what point in regards to slate size do you change your stack size preference? So, I have, uh, coming from the the guy that always talks about how much he dislikes heuristics, I have a couple slate size heuristics as it comes to stack size. So um, what I call small slates, which is five games and under, I basically don't care. Uh, I probably still want at least a three stack in every lineup, but you get those pretty much automatically. I would say five games and under, I... I'm essentially just like, un I don't, I don't really care at that point. Like you, you, there's so few players in the pool. You want a little bit of correlation, but you do need to also capture quite a bit of like raw scoring upside. Uh, I will play three, three twos. I'll play three, two twos. I'll play three threes with two one-offs in on FanDuel on DraftKings. I'll, I'll, I'll play like three stacks. So that's what I call a small slate size um, for a medium slate size, like six to 10 games, roughly. I want to have at least a four stack in every lineup. Um, and not that it's a very popular construction, but I typically also want to have a, some other minor stack in there. So that's when I'll typically get to like these kinds of builds, right? When, the, uh, when so on DraftKings, that would also like same deal. That would be four twos, four threes, five twos, 
five, five naked five stacks and five threes. When it starts to get to large slates, um, so that's like 11 games and plus, then I start to really kind of think more about the two stacks and maybe even try to like tighten those up a little bit more. And I'll start playing things more like on FanDuel, I'd probably still play this. On DraftKings, though, I start playing like this, this, um, this set of like mostly five twos, five threes, four threes, and four fours, right? Like one, one uncorrelated player, one one off per lineup, right? I'm like turning up the correlation as I get there. And one thing I will occasionally do here uh, on extra, like extra large slates, feels kind of funny to say that, like 14 or, or a full 15 game slate when basically every team's playing, uh, is I will actually just max out and I will sometimes set a rule that basically says four fours only on FanDuel and five threes only on DraftKings. Basically on the largest slates there are, I'm just saying like, there's so many players in the pool. I don't even want to one-off anybody. I'm just going to shoot for maximum correlation here and hope that I can get two teams that have like a big ceiling outcome. So um, those are kind of my, my heuristics that I use, but I, I typically like will let the correlation slider get me 90% of the way there. Um, So, and I do think it's interesting, like, so if we look at this build here, so this is again from last night, like Sabersim kind of agrees with me here. Like Sabersim's like, yeah, the best builds, the best lineups are 4-3, and 4-2s for this kind of contest and this kind of slate. I, I still, I can't help but feel like I'm maybe underrating the value of builds like this, like 3-3-2s a little bit. I don't know. I do. I, there's a part of me that feels like must have a four stack is an arbitrary thing that I just can't shake. Um, but that, that's what I do. So, um, chokes that I had the same question four, four on big slates and four threes on five gamers fan duel. Thanks. Yeah. So hopefully that kind of helped your question as well. Um, again, that's just how I split them up. So small, I basically say five game or less small six to 10 game, like medium 11, 12, 13 game ish, large slate. And then like kind of a special, maybe a special situation for the really extra large slates where I just like max out on the, the five threes and four fours. Um, I don't do that every time though. That's, that's some, sometimes, sometimes I'll do, sometimes I'll still let some one-offs in there. Um, that that's a little bit of a slate specific thing for me too. So, um, Patrick says with your recent success, what could you take away what you're doing now and what you were doing in the past for MLB DFS? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I, I will say on on one hand, I think this is just variance, right? Like I I really, really, really want to be clear that I don't I I want what I want to share with everybody here on this stream is like some ways of thinking about the lineups and using the tools, but I don't if you are taking away from this, oh, all I need to do is go find the the tigers or something like that and pump up their stack pool exposure every night. Like that's that's not the message I'm trying to send, right? Um, but with that said, I have dramatically simplified my process in the past two weeks, like significantly. Um, and I think that has helped. Um, I was doing a lot more stuff with my research builds and tweaking projections and making all these changes and uh, sometimes even messing with the sliders and like occasionally like, you know, turning down ownership fade and coming up with sim precision and sometimes turning correlation up as well. Uh, and just like, I had spreadsheets I was using where I was exporting the results of the research builds. Uh, and I do think it was a good reminder for me this past week to like maybe simplify a little bit. Really, I think that's actually like one of the most important parts of, of playing DFS over the long term, right? Not over the short term, not necessarily for somebody just getting into it. But if you're a kind of a long term DFS grinder, uh, learning the skill set of what it takes to think through your process critically and ask at every step of the way, is this necessary? Does this do anything, right? Does this actually make my lineups better? Uh, is this time efficient, right? Do I get enough out of this given how long it takes me to do this? Uh, and then the last one is, is this the best way I could do this thing in terms of accuracy and time efficiency, right? And I think there were a lot of things for me that the answer to that was no, Um that I had overcomplicated my lineups at different steps of the way. So honestly, the biggest thing that I've, especially, and you know, it's really nice heading into NFL. That was a nice reminder for me, a nice lesson to relearn um, because NFL is kind of crazy enough. Uh, and I think having a reminder that, you know, you don't need to overcomplicate things is, is good for me. So that's a good question. I'm glad you asked that. Um, 
uh, Nipsey said, don't you think Texas was overowned? I absolutely do. That is why, that is why in my build, I capped their stack exposure right now. They're like, clearly, they clearly had a lot of upside, clearly a good team to target. Right. I just, I just felt like they were the, I felt like there were a lot of good teams to target and the field was operating as if they were clearly the best option. I think part of the reason why is that Marcus Simeon has been 2,400 on FanDuel all week. FanDuel appears to be unwilling to change his price. I don't know if the, are are the Rangers on the slate here again tonight? I don't know if he's still 2,400. I think that is driving up the Texas stack. The other players on Texas because of the correlation there, like people are just getting to Texas a little bit more because Semyon projects so well uh, and he's 2,400, like he's just like ridiculously underpriced. I think that's part of what has been leading to that. But yeah, no, I absolutely think Texas was overowned. Um, again, like this is, this is kind of the story that I think this tells, right? Texas, um, Right. Like you can just look at the names that are coming up here. Texas, Dodgers, Boston, Texas, Boston, Houston, Texas, Boston. You start to see a little Cleveland, Texas, Houston. We get down here, Texas, Mets, Cleveland, Dodgers, right? You can kind of get the feeling of the teams that were in the best spots, right? But then we come over here, right? The only team where the, um, the, the amount of that player in the pool matches up evenly with their ownership especially outside of the top players, right? Like Jordan Alvarez was about even, right? But like, um, well, actually, I guess actually here's a better example, right? Like Devers, right? Raphael Devers is going to be pretty highly owned, but uh, whereas Xander, eh, I don't know. I guess the Dodgers are probably the best example of this, really, of a team that like looked like their ownership was inefficient to me. So anyway, you get, you get kind of the idea, um, of what I'm, what I'm looking at there. I feel like these numbers like updated on me or something. I guess it's just a different build, right? Maybe that's it that these, this is just a different build, but so anyway, I also, I, I, one other thing I'll add to this too, is your, your conclusions that you drop don't need to be the same as mine and probably shouldn't be right. It's not as if there is a map uh, for how to read this information and, and take it right. Like it part of what I'm trying to do here is to make myself unique in a way that only I will do right. That like, you know, there's going to be like a sense of where things are inefficient. That will be unique to me. That will also be unique to you when you sit down to do this yourself. And that's a good thing, right? That's, you're working within the bounds of a strong set of lineups, no matter what. So if you can find a way to kind of twist and turn it a little bit in a way that makes you unique, great. So um, that's, that's, that's fantastic, right? That's a good thing. Um, you know, I, another way that I, I, I didn't even really go this direction, but another way I think you could have looked at this is like, you know, the Cardinals and the Giants look like they were a little bit uh, inefficient here. So I think there were other ways to take this, to tackle this as well. So um, do you have a video of stack exposures? I don't, I mean, I have like, we've talked about it in office hours quite a bit um, in terms of like literally what the definition of this is and how I also kind of recommend using it. We don't have uh, a longer video right now for it. Um, I can put that on our list though. Um are there, I would I would turn that back to you as well and say, if, are there any questions? Because I think we've covered stack exposure quite a bit here, um, at least in the past couple of days, just because we've been pretty heavily focused on that. So um, I, if you have any questions for me specifically, fire away as well. Um, Reed, Reed said slider head. <laughs> and I took that personally. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't I don't mean to uh to uh cause any offense there. Um but yeah, we uh I I I would uh I would I would try to be I don't know. <laughs> don't don't overthink the sliders, right? Big lesson, big takeaway here. Um don't don't overthink the sliders. That's actually maybe another good one for Patrick's question. Uh don't overthink the sliders, right? I didn't touch them. Like you don't, you really don't, you almost don't even need to, right? Now, again, we're like, we're doing some work right now uh, at the moment to kind of re-dial in and re-test those. But 
I, I, I feel pretty confident, right, that the answer to the new reback-to-tested sliders is not going to be like, oh, they were actually supposed to be this this whole time. Whoops. Right? Like, if the defaults right now are this, I, I would say our, the, the results of our new back-testing project might mean that, like, maybe we find that, like, this is a little bit better or, like, this is a little bit better. And if you personally like the lineups better with a few slider tweaks or something like that, go for it. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but that that's not the key that is not the that is not the answer to the test it is not what the right sliders are so if i could say what were what were the two most important things that i did across this entire uh, over this week on these two builds what were the two most important things uh they were playing playing a strong contest portfolio and applying strong bankroll management principles to be here at this point in the season with the opportunity to play these contests, right? And two, playing enough unique entries to give myself as many shots on goal as possible, right? Um, then secondarily to that, not overthinking it, not doing too much right? Building within kind of the, the parameters of what was laid out for me, right? The, a, a strong foundation of ways to tackle the slate. And then maybe putting my own little twist on it from there at the very end, but not anything else. So <laughs> excuse me. Uh, I have no water today. And I need it. It's been a long time. It's been a long time since we've ran out of water on the stream. Okay. Let's see. Let's get to um, a couple of these last questions here. Um, okay. Eamon said, yeah, I have one. How did you identify the inefficiencies? Yeah. So let's reset this here. All right. So the, the inefficiency is basically when this number, whoa, what? What happened? That got, those are not right. Hold on, let me refresh. Let's see if this fixes that. Those were not, those numbers were not correct. Okay, so the way that I'm kind of looking at this is, when this number does not, like, when this number is not close to this number, there's, to me, there should be a reason for that, right? Like, this is a pool of 1,500 lineups that is, like, how you could play the slate, right? Like, how all of, a strong foundation of ways that you could play the slate, right? So, to me, in, in some ways, this could almost be thought of, like, the true number, right? Now, you don't, you don't get to play 1,500 lineups. You have to narrow down to 150. So it makes sense that you may not be exactly equal to this number across the board, but there should be an explanation for why, why these two numbers disagree when they disagree. So I use this, basically, the, I, I use this as a way to identify the inefficiencies here, right? Like the, the inefficiency is that 14% Dodger stacks are showing up in my pool of 150 and 28% are showing up in my entire pool, right? To me, that's the flag. So I think the most the first part of this is recognizing it, right? Just seeing it, right? Seeing the the discrepancy here, right? There were there were really two big ones on the slate last night, and I think the two of them were the Dodgers, who what, didn't even end up being in the winning lineup, right? But it was the Dodgers. There was a big discrepancy. I was underweight relative to my stack pool and Texas, right? And then I go look for reasons why, like I want to be on one side of that or the other, right? This is the part where you're, you know, for me, a lot of times it's ownership. It can be a variety of different things, but that's kind of where I went ahead and then then started to look at the ownership of these, right? And what I discovered again is that like Texas, Dodgers, and Boston were clearly the highest, likely the most commonly appearing teams in my pool. The team that particularly seemed like they were going to be the most efficiently owned, that the field was most on, was Texas. The one, the team that it seems like the field was going to be the most off, right? Inefficiently owning relative to how often they're showing up in these good lineups was the Dodgers, right? So I think it's kind of two parts. It's identifying the inefficiencies is 
why are these numbers different, right? And it doesn't mean you have to change every single one, but there were two that really stood out to me. And then two, what side do you want to be on? Another one that I do think stands out is Detroit. I mean, this one stands out like a sore thumb, right? If you just sort by stack pool exposure, right? This can be, I think this could be thought of as probability of ending up in a top 1% lineup, right? The stack probability of this team ending up in a top 1% lineup. Detroit sticks out. I mean, look at like here, I guess you guys can't really see that that well. Detroit sticks out like a sore thumb here. This was another one that I was on, right? And this, again, not a team that showed up in the winning lineup last night, but like I couldn't reconcile this. I was like, I'm getting 11% of this team. I just so happened to not have any. I wanted some, right? I was like, again, no one's going to play the Tigers once again. So I'm going to go, I'm going to play them. Um, the Mets here in this particular build actually look like they're a little bit more efficient. I can't necessarily say that if this was my actual build, I probably I would have bumped them up at all. Um, but in the build that I had showed earlier, right, the one that I actually used, this number was like 18% and this number was like 10. And it was another situation where I was like, Mets are putting their best lineup out there, right? They have a strong lineup. They're up against a pitcher that I don't think is very good. They don't seem to be very owned. I'm going to go that direction. So... Um, I think the main thing, I think the first step is just kind of, I, I, to, to see the, to, to see the discrepancies here, uh, to, to identify the inefficiencies and then ask yourself why, right? And that, that part is a little bit harder of like, you know, what, what side do you want to be on that? And you can do it from the pitchers too, right? The inefficiencies here, right? Were Scherzer's not even really that special on the slate here tonight. And the field is kind of operating as if he's like the 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 clear number two option. Rodon looks about efficient. And then there's this big list of pitchers here from Quantrill to Montgomery to Reagans. Really those three, actually, I guess not a big list, but where there's like a legitimate chance of being the best pitcher to play that that the field is basically treating as an afterthought. Right. So Patrick says, any thoughts on the free NFT Rainmaker packs? Not really. Uh, I haven't even, really, I, I opened my free pack. That was cool. Uh, I assume it's like garbage mostly. Um, I am not the, the biggest NFT bro out there, to be honest. I'm, I'm not, a am not, a, a a bear, an NFT bear, but I am just, uh, I'm blissful in my ignorance. Mostly, I guess would be the way I would describe it. Uh, I don't know enough about it to talk intelligently about it. I know the DraftKings clearly is uh, pushing it and like is clearly financially invested in making it be successful. So um, we'll see. I'm interested to see where it goes, but so anyway, all right. Uh, Patrick said PGA showdown would be ideal, especially with no cut tourney, I guess. Yeah. I think golf showdowns, I haven't played too many golf showdowns. I know will on the team has talked about the edge in golf showdown quite a bit, um, from the standpoint of like ownership just gets like really weird, really fast. Like the guy that shoots the best round one will be way more over, way more owned in round two than he was ever in round one, even though that really shouldn't like move the needle to that extent. Right. Like, I think there's, there's, I think there's some edge there. I just haven't really like played a ton of it. So, but yeah, I, I mean, I also, I did end up playing the, the BMW. Um, I mentioned on stream yesterday that I wasn't planning on doing it. And then we talked about it enough on stream yesterday that I got interested in and, uh, played it. So, um, but I did basically exactly what I said I was going to do on stream, which was, I am like, super spread out and I'm trying to essentially match like the optimal rate of all of these different players. So I naturally, like what I ended up naturally kind of doing is being under on the chalkiest. This is the round one, but I ended up being under on like the chalkiest golfers by 5% or so. And I'm over on some of the, uh, look like the least popular golfers by, you know, four or 5% for a lot of these guys. And I am, trying to cut a very thin edge there, I think, but that's what I did. Uh, he Eagles asks a question. Uh, good one. 
Um, how many lineups do you play in NFL on FanDuel and DK? Uh, so the responsible answer that I'm going to give you is that uh, I follow the DFS profit plan video, right? Or I'm going to follow the DFS profit plan video and basically take the concepts that are talked about in this and apply it to the NFL lobby. Um, and I will probably play, you know, it depends on like FanDuel is a little different because you can play 300 unique lineups for like $45 between the 25 cent and the 5 cent. So like all you're, you can be up at like 300 or 400 unique lineups on FanDuel like instantly. Uh, DraftKings, it's a little bit harder to get up to that, but I would say I would probably on the main slate, I'll probably be playing 400 or so lineups on FanDuel and probably 200 on DraftKings. Uh, that's on the main slate. Um, I sometimes, just like everybody out there, get excited for things like week one and think there's a pretty decent likelihood that I over-invest a little bit. Not that I am recommending that at all, uh, but I think that's likely to happen. But yeah, that's about that's that's about how many I play. So, and that's I mean that's just true for baseball too. Like 300, you can see the last couple nights on Fanduel, 345 MLB lineups or whatever. So, DT says, um, do you use the player histograms at all in your player research? Um, no, not really. Um, I think they're okay. So I will I will use them for a sport that I am getting familiarized with as a way to kind of visualize like what could happen, right? Like as I've gotten, you know, I think one of the most interesting ones is NASCAR, um, mostly because the player graphs are so diverse, right? Like these are, um, they're weird, right? They're unique. Um, and NASCAR, tennis, and Formula One are all sports that at the start of the year this year, I had never played. Um, I was pretty unfamiliar with. So as a way to familiarize myself of like the range of outcomes of these players, I've been using these a little bit more. Um, let's see. Sometimes I've noticed for the, for past slates though, these don't show up consistently. Um, but anyway, short answer is no, not really. I will use them to, to familiarize myself with the range of outcomes of a new sport. I think one thing I will do though, uh, that can be somewhat helpful is look at the percentiles, um, I think that 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 actually can be somewhat helpful. Um, and that's kind of still looking at the range of outcomes. Like one thing I will do, so like tonight, okay, let's look look at the slate here tonight. So we have, um, so it's only a five-game slate here. Let me see if I can kind of come up with one quickly here. So let's say, okay, so like, kind of hard to do on the fly because this, this maybe isn't the best example of it, but you Darvish and Max Freed are like pretty close to the same price, 9,000 to 8,500. Uh, Freed is projected way, or sorry, Dar, uh, you is projected way better, way higher owned as well. Um, like one thing that I think can be kind of helpful is asking yourself like what, what percentile matches up to the other player's percentile, right? So like basically Max Freed's 85th, and I, I look for like the lowest the lowest value of this. So like Max Freed's 85th percentile outcome, which is 26.8 is about equal, like a little bit higher than you Darvish's median. Right. So then you can kind of like start thinking about, okay, like what has to happen for Freed to outscore you at 70% ownership where Freed is 18% ownership. Well, we need like a 15% likely outcome for Freed and a 50th percentile outcome for you or less than a 50th percentile outcome, right? And both of those things to happen together. So, I mean, if you want to multiply those two and actually calculate that number together, I think that's fine. I think it's also just helpful. I think typically what I find, I guess the, the, the coming around to my point here, what I find by looking at the percentiles is it is a helpful way to remember that the, the unlikely outcome, the outcome that just feels unlikely in your head is actually more likely than most of the time, I think, right? Like, Max Freed overcoming an eight and a half point projection difference to outscore you Darvish to me seems very unlikely, especially then when you start looking at the matchups and all these other things. Uh, but I actually, I think just looking at the percentiles, that outcome is less likely than it, or is actually more likely than it appears mathematically speaking. So I will use the percentile sometimes too. Uh, another thing is the, uh, I actually think the better example is on, on hitters, right? So you could be looking at this. Let's see, do we have like a super chalk team tonight? It would be it would be convenient if we did. Are they the Padres? Padres, Boston, New York. 
Padres, Boston, New York, right? Um, you know, the best example of this is actually on like a Coors Field slate, right? Here, actually, let's let's see. We were playing in Coors this time last week, right? Weren't the Diamondbacks weren't the Diamondbacks in town last week? I think so. Let's see. I hope so, because I don't want to go looking looking for a, a, a slate here, but I think they were. Yes. Oh, Cardinals. Just as yeah, great. Even better, actually. Okay. Um, so maybe we're looking at this here and we're looking at the batters, and you're like, God, how can I get off the Cardinals? Look how good projected they are. They're uh the first sec- first, third, fifth, sixth best projected players on the slate, right? And when you like start to look at other teams, like it's just hard to get off of them, right? Well, when you look at like the 95th percentile outcomes, it becomes a lot more apparent how easily you can get off of these teams, right? Like for basically for, you know, this is on an individual player level, but let's go pick, you know, for Jose Ramirez to outscore. Uh, wait, let me pick a, let me pick a player that's like projected the same and plays the same position. So O'Neill or Goldschmidt. Okay, here's a good example. For Vlad Guerrero Jr. at 6.5% ownership and scoring 2.5 points less on average to outscore Paul Goldschmidt, who is 20% owned on this like random past slate, basically all that you need to have happen is what? Goldschmidt to have a 70 to have a 75th percentile outcome or less and for Guerrero to have a what, a 80th percentile outcome, right? Their upside is like virtually identical is the point I'm trying to make. So I think the percentiles can be somewhat useful instead. Uh, all of this to say, I, I don't, I don't use the actual histograms that much, apart from trying to show a point or to learn a new sport. But I do think the percentiles can be somewhat useful for research. So, um, Patrick said, "You ever upload the wrong CSV file? I've done that several times when I'm working close to lock. I've missed lock a couple times. Um, I don't know if I've done the wrong CSV thing, but I've definitely missed lock a couple times with that CSV upload." That's always very sad. That's that's a very that feels like a, a very NBA DFS experience to me. Um, baseball, I normally have time. I cut it close sometimes, but I normally have time. But basketball, uh, definitely, you have those you have those missed locks. So, I think the most infuriating missed lock I've ever had uh, was for an MMA card. Um, a maybe about a year ago, um, my internet went out like eight minutes before lock. First of all, it was an MMA card where I was building my lineups eight minutes before lock, which is on my fault because MMA, like you can build your lineups most of the time, two hours before lock and be fine. I don't know why I waited so late, but my internet went out eight minutes before lock and it stayed out right up until lock. And then it came right back on. I missed lock completely. And MMA, the worst part of MMA is you're, I mean, you miss lock. It's over. You you're done. It's, it's a donate. Uh, there's no late swap or anything like that. Right. So uh, that was really tilting. I called and uh, upgraded my internet the very next day because I was so, I was so tilted. So that was the most infuriating one. It was like a perfect from the moment I sat down to build my lineups to the moment lock happened, the internet was down and then it came right back. So it's kind of frustrating, but anyway. All right. I don't see any other questions uh, coming in here. Um, so we'll go ahead and leave it there for today's stream. Uh, thank you everybody again for tuning in, listening, asking questions, following along to everybody that listens to the podcast version of the show as well. Appreciate you. Uh, if you're watching this, um, and don't already have a SaberSim subscription, uh, you can get signed up for free seven days, seven day trial on our site, sabersim.com. Uh, baseball is still rocking. I know a lot of football excitement here going on. That's great. I'm super excited for football. Uh, but we still have three weeks to kick off, and that means three weeks of um, solid baseball slates to play here. So um, we can keep grinding here through the end of the season. I will be right back again for another episode of Office Hours tomorrow, 4, four o'clock. Why did I say 4 o'clock? I've never said 4 o'clock Eastern, and I almost did. 2 o'clock Eastern uh, tomorrow um, for another stream. So in the meantime, good luck on the slate tonight. Good luck in the rest of the early slate if you played that, and I will see you guys all tomorrow. Take care.